word. I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 51. We're going to finish the book of Jeremiah today. We've been journeying together from Genesis and now we're in Jeremiah. And yes, we've had some hiatuses and some points, um, you know, some periods of time where we didn't get, you know, to, to really devote on a daily basis our reading of the word. But at least we can spend some time today to commit to um, the reading of the scriptures today. I hope those of you who are reading, because I see some people who are posting and commenting about Christianity being the white man's religion. Um, I hope you guys can spend some time at, at least to commit to reading the actual scripture and read it in totality and read what it actually says. Um, and if you read what it actually says, read it in totality and read what the representation is in the scripture, you'll see that what you're saying is very far from the truth. Um, very far from the very, what you're saying is very far from the truth. Anyway, um, I want to just devote that time. I want you to prayerfully consider three questions. The first one is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question. The second question is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? So we're going to pray when it gets started. Father, I ask that you would inspire us today. Lord, speak to us through your word, Lord, as we read it. Father, as we close out on the book of Jeremiah, I just pray, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, attend to us, attend to our spirit. Speak to us, Lord God, testify to our spirit, Lord. Convict us, correct us, transform us by, in this time as we spend time prayerfully reading through your word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 51, it says this, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Leb Kamai, a destroying wind. And I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom, they shall be against her all around. Against her, let the archer bend his bow and lift himself up against her in, in his armor. Do not spare her, young men. Utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and those who trust, who thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts. Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel, flee from the midst of Babylon and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the name of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon has a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go everyone to his own country. For her judgment reaches to the heaven and is lifted up into the skies. The Lord has revealed, hold on a second. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Make the bows bright, gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of Medes, for his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. 
set up the standard on the wall of Babylon. Make the guard strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes for the Lord has both devised and done what he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. Hmm. Oh, you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come. The measure of your covetousness, the Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men as with locusts, and they shall lift up a shot against you. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched the heavens by his understanding. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes the lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by the carved image. For his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their judgment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You are my battle axe and weapons of war. For with you, I will break the nation in pieces. With you, I will destroy kingdoms. With you, I will break in pieces the horses and its rider. With you, I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider. With you also, I will break in pieces men and women. With you, I will break in pieces old and young. With you, I will break in pieces the young men and the maiden. With you, I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you, I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke of oxen. And with you, I will break in pieces governors and rulers. And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done. And Zion, in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, and you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. Set up the banner of the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call the kingdoms together against her, Ararat, Mini, Ashkenaz, appoint the general against her. Cause the horses to come up like bristling locusts. Prepare against her the nations with the kings of Medes, its governors and all its rulers, all the land of his dominion, and the land will tremble and sorrow. For every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They became like women. They have burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gate are broken. One runner will run to meet another and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken on all sides. The passages are blocked. The reeds have been burned with fire. The men of war are terrified. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor when it is time to thresh her. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come, 
Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood will be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Jerusalem will say, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions whelps. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk that I may re- that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with male goats. Oh, how Sheshek has been taken. Sorry. Oh, how Sheshek is taken. Oh, how the praise of the whole earth is seized. How Babylon has become desolate among the nations. The sea has come out up over Babylon. She is covered with a multitude of its waves. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land in the wilderness, a land where no one dwells, though which no son of man passes, sorry, through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon, and I will bring out of his mouth what he has swallowed, and the nation shall not stream to him anymore. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. My people shall go out of the midst of her. And let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. Unless your heart faint and you fear for the rumor that will be heard in the land. A rumor will come one year. And after that, in another year, a rumor will come and violence in the land. Ruler against ruler. Therefore, behold, the days are coming that I will bring judgment on the carved images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be ashamed, and all her slain shall fall in her midst. And the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing joyously over Babylon. For the plunderer shall come to her from the north, says the Lord, as Babylon has has caused the slain of Israel to fall. So at Babylon the slain of all the earth shall fall. You who have escaped the sword, get away. Do not stand still. Remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come to your mind. We are shame because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces for strangers have come into the sanctuary of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring judgment on her carved images and throughout all her land, the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon were to mount up to heaven, and though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet from me plunders would come to her, says the Lord. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon and a great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her loud voice. Though her waves roar against great waters and the noise of her voice is uttered because the plunderer comes against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken. Every one of their bows is broken. For the Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. And I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors, her deputies, and her mighty men. 
and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Hmm. Says the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain and the nations because of the fire and they shall be weary. The word which came, sorry, the word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, when he went to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, and Sariah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon, all these words that were written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, then you will say, oh, Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading this book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Chapter 52. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. <laughs> and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Joachim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, till he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, and in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around so the city was besieged in the 11th year of King Zedekiah by the fourth month on the ninth day of the month. A famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people in the land. Then the city wall was broken through and all the men of war fled and went <clears throat> out of the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around and they went by way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him and they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And he pronounced judgment on them. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And he killed all the princes of Judah and Riblah. He also put out the eyes of Zedekiah. And the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Jerusalem, and put him in prison till the day of his death. Now in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. 
Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poor people. The rest of the people were in the city, the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the craftsmen. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. Hmm. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the bowls, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the basins, the fire pans, the bowls, the pots, and the lampstands, the spoons, and the cups, whatever was solid gold and whatever was solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, the 12 bowls, sorry, sorry, the 12 bronze bulls, which were under it, and the carts, which King Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. Now concerning the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits and measuring a measuring line of 12 cubits could measure its circumference and its thickness was four fingers. It was hollow. The, the capital of bronze was on it and the height of one capital was five cubits with a network of pomegranates all around the capital, all of the bronze. The second pillar of pomegranates was the same. There were 96 pomegranates on all <clears throat> on the sides. All the pomegranates all around the network were 100. The captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, seven men of the king, close associates who were found in the city, the principal scribe of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city. Zebudar, sorry, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the hand of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. These are the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the 11th year, 3,023 Jews. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Jews 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. Now it came to pass. In the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, the evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up his head of, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than the house of those kings who were with him in Babylon. Then Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. As for his provisions, he was a wreck. There was a regular ration given to him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. An interesting place to end here. Um, 
Interesting place to end. Interesting conclusion to a book. Yet it isn't really a conclusion, but rather a part one. Uh, part two would be Lamentations, which we're going to read. We're going to start reading tomorrow. But congratulations, y'all. For those of you who've been sticking it out with us, um, we've been reading from Genesis and we're going to read all the way to Revelation. That's the journey. There are those who are the OGs in the game who are with us when we read from Matthew all the way to Revelation. And then we went to Genesis and read from Genesis all the way to, uh, now we're going to read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament. Some of you guys have the cheat code because you read the New Testament. Because you read the New Testament, you can see what all this will result in. You, you, you see the conclusion. You know what the end of the story looks like. But if you haven't, you're fine. You find yourself in a tension here, especially if you finish reading a book like Jeremiah. You find yourself in a tension because, you know, as we've been reading, we know what happens to the children of Israel. We read this already. Children of Israel fall captive to the Chaldeans, to Babylon. And so the children of Israel fall captive. And now we get to see it from the perspective of Jeremiah, the prophet, who actually warned them of this. And I don't want to belabor the point because we've talked about this before, but we've seen this already. We know this transpired and Jeremiah warned that, that this would transpire because of what he called their harlotry. And because of their harlotry, he warned them that they would fall into captivity. This is the consequence of it. And Babylon now plays a key role in God instituting his justice and his judgment. Babylon plays a role. We could talk about Babylon. We could talk about Babylon's evils. We could talk about, you know, all the evil things that Babylon has done and all the, um, the you know, we, we could read the story of Babylon and we could see Babylon ain't it. However, even in the midst of all that, God still orchestrates all this to institute his justice. God orchestrates all this to institute his righteousness. God is still at work, even though Babylon is in power. It's an important note to make, because often when things aren't going the way we want them to go, we sometimes like to think that God is taking a pause, that God is sitting back, that God is just, you know, he's waiting to make things right. Not realizing that even those seasons, God is still at work. Even in the seasons that we feel like God isn't moving, even in the seasons where we feel like God isn't listening, even in the seasons where we feel like evil is winning, even in the seasons where we feel like the evil powers are in control, when the bad people seem to be winning, when the evil people seem to be winning, when those who actually have no intention to give God glory seem to be winning, we seem to think that somehow God is taking a pause here. And yet the word of encouragement that I have for you is that even in the midst of that, God is still in control. God is in control. God is still at work. Even when things aren't going your way, even when things aren't going the way that you intended, even when it feels like the enemy is taking a stronghold, even though it feels like the enemy is in control, even though it feels like nothing is going right, God is still on the throne. 
He is still in control. He is still King of Kings. He is still Lord of Lords. So rest in that. Evil may seem to be running and ruling, but understand that God's doing his work even in the midst of that. It's important for us to know that. It's important for us to be cognizant of that because we are reading of the work that God is doing to bring justice and righteousness. But he's doing it through an evil nation like Babylon. It almost seems like Jeremiah is, um, it would almost seem like Jeremiah is all over the place. Like Jeremiah doesn't know what he really stands for. Because early on, as we read in the book of Jeremiah, he was saying, seek the prosperity of the city. Seek Babylonian prosperity, because if Babylon prospers, then you prosper. So at one point, it almost seems like Jeremiah is for Babylon, which is why all the others started coming at him saying, yo, no, this ain't it. Don't listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is speaking evil. Words like that is what got Jeremiah locked up. Words like that almost got Jeremiah killed. Words like that brought Jeremiah in hiding from his own people. And so on one end, Jeremiah is saying, Babylon is coming. And Babylon is going to take the children of Israel captive. But then at the end of Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah speaking about Babylon falling. Babylon will fall. There will be utter destruction in Babylon. And Jeremiah even said, and then, of course, the book doesn't really show us everything that Jeremiah wrote because Jeremiah wrote so much about Babylon without even being there that he told his apprentice, his own disciple, told him, when you get to Babylon, see all the stuff that I told you, read it and notice that I'm saying what I'm saying is actually what Babylon is doing. This is the evil that Babylon performs. And take that book and make sure after you take the writing, throw it into the river Throw it into the water, sorry. Throw it into the sea. Make sure it gets to the bottom of the sea. Put a rock on it and make sure it sinks. Because not only does it protect you, but it's an image of what God's going to do to all the evil in this land. So it wasn't that Jeremiah was for Babylon. It's that Jeremiah understood and trusted God. Jeremiah understood and trusted the work of God. And I think this is what's so critically important for us is that at times we may see the powers, we may see the governments, we may see the institutions at play, we may see the, the, the greed, and we may see the sin and the evil in the world. And then we get all confused because we're wondering, where is God in that? You see all this evil in the world. You see all the sin and all the brokenness, you see just all the negativity and you're wondering, where is God in that? Where is God in that? Not realizing God is working through that. I think sometimes we're so busy thinking of the moment that we're not thinking of the long game, that God never relinquishes his control, that God never relinquishes his authority. That even when it seems like the enemy is on top, and even when it seems like evil is on the prowl, and even when it seems like the powers that be are the ones who are now in control, understand there is nothing they can do without God's authority and without God's permission. God is still at work even in the midst of that. That is 
so critically important. And it's what we see here because even though Babylon is practicing all of this evil, God's going to use Babylon to bring about his justice. Because what God wants is to bring renewal and restoration to humanity, to bring humanity in right standing with him. And yet Israel, who is given a law to be the agents of reconciling humanity back to God, Israel has not been that nation. And now God has to set things straight. So Babylon's coming. Because if Babylon comes up and gobbles all the nations around them, when Babylon goes down, all the nations go down with it. Did you hear that? This is the way, the strategy of God, the the justice of God. This is the application of the power and the sovereignty of God. Is God works things in the way that he wants to work them. But even though he works them, it all works to bring his righteousness to light. God is establishing a new nation, a new people, and he's going to do it. And he's going to use the evil in Babylon. That's, that's the, that's the, the interesting thing about all this is you can look at the politics and go, there's no God here. God's not at work. Jeremiah, even saying the stuff that he said, prophesying the things that he prophesied, the Israelites were like, nah, bro, you obviously don't understand. That ain't it. You will fall into captivity. No, that can't be God. God can't make things right. Or not only will you fall into captivity, but seek the prosperity of the one who keeps you captive. That can't be right. Nope, that ain't God. Because, you know, of course, it's our will over God's at that point, right? That can't be God. Yes, you're a captive. Yes, you are in exile. You won't fit in, but seek the prosperity of the city. Seek Babylon's prosperity. Nah, nope. Ah, nope. That ain't it. That ain't it, Jeremiah. I think we need to lock him up. And he says, regardless, Babylon's coming. He tells us to Zedekiah. He says, just submit to the fact that God's going to be at work even in the midst of the captivity. You could either... You can either come against it and fight it, or you can submit to the season. And notice, remember, Jeremiah was already giving him instruction. He was like, please hear what I have to say. Just go. Let them take over. Just go. Because then we would save our land. We would save our buildings. We would save our... But they resisted. And yet before Babylon takes over, he writes this one piece in Jeremiah 50 and in Jeremiah 51 to speak of how Babylon will be destroyed, that God's not done, even though it seems that this powerful empire is coming to take over, that even that empire will be destroyed. And then in the end, he gives it to Sariah. And then Sariah goes and he takes it with him because he knows Sariah is going to captivity. He says, remember what I said. And Jeremiah's words are done. Then is chronicled here in, in Jeremiah chapter 52. Gives us a recap of what has transpired. 
Zedekiah being imprisoned, his eyes being plucked out, spending the rest of his days till his death in prison. The temple was burned. The city was plundered and burned. The whole city was torn down. All the things that Jeremiah said would happen if you would resist God's judgment. The government is coming. The powers are coming and we can either work with them or we can submit to even greater punishment. And so the people are taken captive and the kings are taken captive. And that's how the book ends. I have one thought and it's, it's sometimes an uncomfortable thought. It's a, it's a dangerous thought for many, especially in this time. I feel it is necessary, at least for a moment, to speak on the things that are transpiring in our nation today. Particularly speaking, as we speak on the legislation that was just passed in the United States regarding Roe versus Wade. We look at Babylon and we're surprised that Babylon is Babylon. When Roe versus Wade was instituted, the church went into a frenzy because they saw great evil, human lives being destroyed as as a result of legislation, as a result of a law that was passed. I'm not here to speak in support or against because at the end of the day, I don't submit and neither, neither of us submit to this authority as long as it is not under the authority of the kingdom of God. I submit to this authority in congruence to the authority of the kingdom of God. And so we see laws like this being passed and we go, can you believe this was passed? It's almost like we're shocked about Babylon being Babylon. It's almost like we're like, I can't believe it. And I think it's kind of funny because it's almost as if we as believers don't even fully understand the gospel. Oh man, it's going to get dangerous for a second. But I got to speak on this. This is so critically important. I got to speak on this because For some reason, we think that somehow laws change hearts. We we think somehow that laws change people. We think somehow that if we can change legislation, we can change the hearts of the people in our nation. And all this is proving is that, in, especially when it comes to this law of Roe versus Wade, there hasn't been a heart changed as a result of this. And so on one side of the spectrum, you have people who believe that somehow our nation is more of a Christian nation because of this overturning of Roe versus Wade. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have people who believe that their rights are being taken away. 
And we have two people now on two sides contesting the church contesting for human right in life. And then on this side, you've got the human right of choice. And so we have life and choice, life and choice, one contesting over the other. And we're both contesting butting heads, not realizing that neither, that this isn't the battle that we ought to be fighting in the first place. We're actually fighting the wrong battle. The battle is not pro-life versus pro-choice. The battle is on the matter of the heart. And somehow, somewhere along the way, the church believed that if we change legislation, we would change hearts. Since when? Since when? If you, if, if we would just learn anything from the gospel, what we could learn is that the gospel changes no heart, that the law, sorry, the law changes no hearts. This is much bigger than that. And so we can say, hey, this law will protect many, many lives. But at the end of the day, does it change hearts? That's the question. And I think this is the part that's missing in the conversation. Because I've heard many who are pro-life, who are celebrating, and yet they're celebrating things that you would go, hold on a second. What are you talking about here? They're celebrating legislation for reasons other than what the gospel entails, aside from the sanctity of life, aside from all of that. They've got other motives and other agendas. And these are things we don't consider that even the ones who fight for certain laws don't necessarily fight it for the kingdom of God. And there are those who are contesting against it the same. The kingdom of God is not in mine. I'm sorry if I speak in a very coded way because I'm trying not to cause too much trouble. And I'm trying to speak as frank as I can to say that while many would like to think this is a win for Jesus, our church is not more Christian because of Roe versus Wade. Our world, our nation is not more closer to Christ because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And the church gets shocked and surprised to see that the world is the world. Well, the world has always been the world. The question is, where's the church? Where, where, where is the church in this? Because it's those who are in the church who participate also in abortions. So the question is, what's happening even from within? Is it a theological disconnect? Is it a gospel disconnect? Have we shamed our women in the church? Have we not properly taught the beauty and the sanctity of cultivating life? Have we not taught about the great mandate that we've been given? What have we missed? And understand that overturning Roe versus Wade, all it does is it makes it a little bit harder. <laughs> That's all it does. 
I'm sorry, fam. Can't believe I'm putting this on the podcast. Whatever. I'll post it because, again, this causes all kinds of trouble. It causes all kinds of trouble. But abortions existed before Roe versus Wade. Why do we think somehow this is the end all solution when there are deeper issues at hand? It's the beginning of something. But this isn't it. Because the law does not change a heart. The law does not change how we view human life. The law will not change any of that. And overturning Roe versus Wade is not going to change how one sees their child. And I'm in prayer for our nation because we are in Babylon. Babylon will fall. But he says here, in, until then, we seek the prosperity of our nation. I'm called to be distinct with or without Roe versus Wade. I'm called by love to be an example with or without Roe versus Wade. I'm called to show the beauty of the sanctity of life with or without Roe versus Wade. I'm called to, to seek the flourishing of our country with or without Roe versus Wade, not to be right and militant, but to see hearts change towards Jesus. And until a heart is changed towards Jesus, to see the great sacrifice of Christ and the implications of what Christ has done on the cross, fam, Roe versus Wade doesn't change anything. And so I'm still saddened by our country. I'm still saddened by what I see. I'm still sad about it because I believe that a lot of people in the church think we have arrived. Now realizing that we may be actually further away from those who need to hear the gospel. Fam, I'm going to say this. If laws changed hearts, then why would we need prisons? If, if laws changed hearts, why do we need law enforcers? If laws changed hearts, why would we need?